This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who lives in this home and is the other person on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. How do you think I am? (laughs) Nice spin. (laughs) Nice turning the question around. Trying to change things up from always asking, how are you right away? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say that you're hanging in there with, um, you know, the things in the world, the things going on a busy day for you and and maybe also a little bit more optimism than some days. Well, thank you. That's a very good assessment. Uh, I think you're I think you're doing pretty good. You okay. you it sounds like from our conversation before we recorded the podcast that you got some things done today, but not as many as you would like. Yep, that is true. Accurate. <laughs> yes. Uh, already recorded a couple podcasts uh, today, and this is our, you know, late night podcast now where we can get <laughs> loose and crazy and uh, have, have some fun. Um, all right. So. Our obsession this week is honestly a little bit more my obsession, so I am going to share some thoughts, but I want to bounce them back to you and hear uh, what your thoughts are as well. So we are going to talk about super villains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, super villains are always something that I've liked uh, since I was a kid because they were often the the colorful, strange characters in pop culture stories. So I think I gravitated to the colorful and the strange. Um, but I have been uh, working on a project that I can't, can't or shouldn't talk about at this stage. It's uh, related to supervillains, so I've been giving them lots of thought and enjoying thinking about it. And it's one of those kind of, for me, when you and I talk about, what should we talk about this week? It's kind of one of those under-the-radar obsessions where when I stopped and thought, it's like, I think about supervillains constantly right now. I'm very <laughs> obsessed with them. It just didn't occur to me to have that be a topic. So I'm really excited to dig in and uh, talk about supervillains. So I'm going to start by asking you a question. Yeah. With the full knowledge that I am far more obsessed than you are. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you first. When you think of supervillains, who or what do you think of? Yeah. So I I think of um, my mind kind of jumps as though my mind were made out of comic book pages or like a montage in a movie and jumps between, um, you know, supervillains from maybe um, like uh, words. Hi, <laughs> I have not been doing podcasts all day. Um, uh, supervillains from various genre things. So whether it's going to be like uh, Thanos or Lex Luthor or... Uh, when we talked about this briefly the other day, I, for some reason, had the Smurfs on the mind. Uh, so Gargamel um, or like Bond villains is also the other one. So I'd say those are kind of my two big ones that jump to my mind are, you know, kind of the supervillains. Goldfinger and Gargamel. Um, <laughs> I was I was going to leave Gargamel out because that was just I that day. Gargamel but, I mean, counts. Absolutely. Uh, most days my mind would not jump to Gargamel. I'd say most <laughs> days my mind would jump to like, um, you know, Lex Luthor and Blofeld. Okay, excellent, excellent. And what do you? What is your like initial emotional reaction? That's like a uh, a what you listed was sort of like, give me two or three examples. And mm-hmm. uh, but I'm curious also like what's kind of the emotional reaction? Oh, oh, um, wow, emotions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say that I have 
Um, I have a, it gives me a sense of hope that the good people will defeat the supervillains. So when you picture Gargamel, you picture him uh, being roundly <laughs> defeated by the Smurfs of the village. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's absolutely where a lot of the the character and flavor and interest, like things that are very interesting about a show or a story can come out of that. But I also, um, you know, I I cheer for the the good people. Yeah. As yeah. the story is told in our perspective. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I cheer for their defeat. You, che- you okay? When you see Blofeld, you're like, "Sorry, Blofeld, you're going down by the end of this film." Yep. And if I have know, my way, yeah. Sometimes Blofeld doesn't. Anyway, that's a whole different uh, discussion, which we might have. Um, yeah, f- for myself, I made kind of a, a big list uh, because I, I there are villains, there are antagonists, but when I say super villain, I think of a, a specific kind of collection of traits and perspectives and Gargamel absolutely absolutely fit so uh, I'll start the list with Gargamel from the Smurfs <laughs> uh, but Doctor Doom Lex Luthor as you mentioned the Red Skull Thanos uh, Skeletor Emperor Palpatine uh, Voldemort most James Bond villains uh, the Master uh, Omega in particular uh, from the classic uh, Doctor Who series uh, mm. main villain of the serial Three Doctors which you and I watched relatively uh, recently, uh, many other supervillains in Doctor Who. I think of supervillains as they are often geniuses in particular. Mm-hmm. Because you, you could have villains and antagonists who are a little bit more brute force, right? Or assassins who've been hired by a higher power to take out our good guys, right? But when I think supervillains, I think they're often geniuses mm-hmm. and they have a master plan that mm-hmm. comes from some sort of perspective. And they love to rant about it, very <laughs> often using big words. There's a lot of anguish screaming from them or monologuing. Uh, and I think there's often a a perspective where the supervillains feel unappreciated. Mm. Even if their they're, you know, motivation in the actual story or their goal in the actual story is a pretty straightforward, I deserve more power. Almost always when you dig down to it, they feel wronged or pushed out of society or that there was something that, you know, should have been theirs that was taken from them by society or by a person. And um, I think all of that kind of combines to make them these compelling figures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that that you just added about the feeling wronged. Um, and, and I agree, I think for myself, uh, thinking of them as geniuses and thinking of them as very, um, single-minded, like they have a purpose and nothing is going to distract them from that. And sometimes the perfect purpose is revenge. (laughs) Often the purpose is revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The purpose can absolutely be revenge or, or setting something right that should have been a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, in this, I'm so glad that you brought up, uh, them being very intense and focused or, uh, a one word we use for that is obsessed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because as I was uh, coming up with these notes and trying to figure out for myself, like, okay, I want to break it down into kind of parts that we can discuss of, of why they really speak to me or why I'm fascinated with them. And I realized, oh, the, they're obsessive. And I host a podcast called Obsessed <laughs> because I'm obsessive. So that part of it is really fascinating to me. Um we're going to talk about why I'm drawn to them and kind of break down uh, some of those things, and I'll ask you about them. But I want to also just ask you, are you drawn to them? Do you find them 
intriguing? Do you do you want to know more about them or ever have like I have a desire to have images of some of these characters like in our homes? <laughs> <laughs> um I'll start from the last question first. No. <laughs> um, I don't have that desire for myself. Um, but we do have, you know, we do have a cell print of Skeletor. That's great. Um, I am drawn to them in terms of interesting characters. I yeah. think is the, the like, what's the story? What's what's their perspective? And what's their mat I do like that idea of like oh what's the master plan so I I'm intrigued by them but I am not usually drawn toward them in a sympathetic way it's more of a I'm intrigued by them their story their plan yeah rather than not that not that I'm a totally you know non-sympathetic person I sometimes do have sympathy for them but often their plan involves destruction and I'm not, that's not usually the direction I'm sympathetic toward. Yeah, no, I'm glad that you brought up, brought that up because we'll talk about that specifically uh, because I think this is, it's, it would be easy to misstate my fascination with them of feeling like these are all just a bunch of misunderstood, <laughs> you know, people, real smart people, a little obsessive, kind of want their things their way. You know, it's not their fault. Society has wronged them. Um, I think one of the things that are fascinating about these characters is often their motivations, their feelings, their perspectives, sometimes even their analysis of what's going on in the world is relatable and correct. And what also makes them supervillains is their solution is always horribly unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And that's where the storytelling comes from and part of the reason that I'm fascinated by them. Because even like like The Spy Who Loved Me, the the film version, you know, the bad guy's really, really motivated by it's awful what we're doing to the oceans. Like that film is 1977. It's very <laughs> of the time of like, Hey, it's it's being, you know, eco-aware. Mm-hmm. And the guy's solution is drown the world. <laughs> Fish are better than people. Like, great observation on a problem, mm-hmm. not an acceptable solution, mm-hmm. right? And so many of the stories are like that. And it, it it's a fascinating discussion then to pick apart. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Because sometimes it is petty. Sometimes it's just, I feel I was wronged and this other person has something I should have or I want to prove that I'm smarter than everybody. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's nothing uh, worthy or noble in it mm-hmm. but oftentimes it's like great point villain unacceptable solution and then it becomes this uh, great discussion mm-hmm. to me um okay great so uh good to know that you are not super drawn to them thank you for uh letting me have uh, so many uh, emperor palpatine action figures <laughs> physically visible in our home and uh yes a, a skeletor original cell from Masters yeah Universe. yeah uh staring out makes me very happy so I'm going to break down a little bit of the different reasons that I am drawn to them, interested in them, obsessed with them, and then we can kind of talk through those. So often they are, I think, meant to be tragic figures. They are figures who often have great pity for themselves uh, or a great understanding of how much they could contribute, but they think they're being held back. So th- even when that's correct, that, that maybe something unfair did happen to them it's all focused on themselves and they never have empathy, Mm. which is, I think, where the plans always fall apart of like, oh, good observation (laughs) that this sucks for the world or this sucks for you, but you're not extending empathy, supervillain. You're handling it by remaking the world in my grand design kind of thing. So I'm, I'm fascinated with them as tragic figures who maybe have a good idea or a half of a good idea, an unacceptable execution Mm -hmm. of that idea kind of a cautionary tale i think sometimes it's maybe maybe a way to say it is they're kind of 
some of them are a cautionary tale of this is what this is what you shouldn't do with your pain. Mm. Like when something bad or unfair happens to you or you feel feel held back by the world, this is that's understandable, but this is a cautionary tale of what not to do with that pain. Lash out at others. Uh, do you think that that helps to have uh, just in society in general? Do you think it helps to have these examples of how not to be in pop popular culture? Oh yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, because I mean, you, the the example that jumped into my head is um, you know Red Skull, and I think there's a lot of feeling of being wronged, like you were saying, and. Yeah, because in the Captain America movie in particular, he is Erskine's first experiment. And yeah. he feels kind of like failed, half complete, and then left by his father figure. In, yeah. And jealous of Captain America, the, the successful right. second son of Erskine, kind of. Right, and he wants to show how smart he is and that he shouldn't have been abandoned. And I, 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 I guess I'm not even meaning specifically just him, but I feel like there is um, that that exploration of... How do you handle strong feelings about being wronged? And uh, <laughs> drowning the world is not one of them. The maybe uh, not. I'm not even going to say maybe. That is not an acceptable solution. <laughs> I don't know why. We're going to come down hard on this one. You can't drown the world, people. Um, yeah. So, no, I think absolutely using them as seeing them as cautionary tales I don't know if that's where how they started, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I I did not do a deep dive. Uh, I'm I'm sure there are many many great books of uh, lengthy uh, literary analysis that I could read to to see all of the different places that this came from. I think you know the the figure of the supervillain in the sort of parameters I'm defining is also probably fascinating to me because it's all of the different genres that I've been interested in piling on top of one another. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean. Because by the time you're getting to the the ones that I was initially introduced to, you know, Doctor Doom in comic books, uh, uh, Emperor Palpatine on the screen wasn't even Emperor then. He was ju- or Emperor Palpatine. He was just the Emperor then or Skeletor. Those are all standing on the shoulders of older traditions of genre and pop culture. So, you know, tracing it all back to the roots is uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, all <laughs> speaking to each other. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just fascinated by that idea of the cautionary tale and. I think another element of that, though, to hear you describe it, the the they're often like throwing tantrums mm-hmm. in a way. They're like these giant, incredibly intelligent, talented, powerful babies <laughs> who are throwing a tantrum, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of elides into the second big reason for me that I find them fascinating is there's just massive comedy potential in them. There's something inherent inherently funny by them because like i really wanted that skeletor uh cell i got it at a the power con convention uh the the writing staff of uh, that adult swim show i've worked on uh tigtone which is, has some he-man inspiration went to power con the he-man she-ra convention and i was delighted to find that and i hadn't really i've always liked skeletor but i haven't ever hadn't really thought about why i hadn't connected it to other super villains so skeletor was a little bit of my door into like why do I want this angry purple skull head hanging on my wall? Why do I like like him? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it is 
a little bit of that contrast of they are so they're dangerous babies. They're uh, throwing these tantrums and they often take themselves so incredibly seriously, right? They uh, not only do they often wield actual power because they're geniuses and they've amassed money or designed bizarre ray guns or all these things. They have real power. They're they're truly, truly dangerous. Mm-hmm. But in so many stories, they're rigid. Like, and that's what it's about. They need to make the world the way they think it should be. They need to make the things happen that they want to happen. And I think there's something about that rigidity uh, and that obsession that is just perfect uh, opportunity for comic subversion. Mm. Like uh, I love I love Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars because he is a he's a symbol of many things. You know, we could see him in the prequels when he is just a politician, and he's a he's a a symbol of kind of very frightening real world evil of how can a political system be manipulated to give power to you know just one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so real real world evil. But then when we see him in the original trilogy. He's he's a wizard out of just like absolute fairy tale. He's just a space wizard in dark robes and lightning comes out of his fingers. He's so almost cartoonishly fantasy. Mm-hmm. And the way Ian McDermott, you know, made the decision to play him because he didn't get a ton of input from Lucas was to just play him as this guy who almost hates words even. It's just like it's he is so both a picture of different kinds of real evil everything from the like the fear of the dark sorcerer to the fear of the false-faced politician to the cartoonishly over the top almost like from a british panto villain Mm -hmm. so he represents all these things but there is a true element of comedy to him because he is inherently absurd he's inherently over the top you know Mm -hmm. so uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um does that does that make sense to you or are you starting to worry about me <laughs> and honestly it makes a lot of sense about why super villains um side note i'm waiting for the time i accidentally say who superheroes instead of super villains just you know because every time i almost do um but it makes sense to me about why you as a lover of comedy and i I, as an adult, know this about you, but I think um, it probably goes instinctually deeper into you of just kind of the idea of watching and exploring characters and kind of what makes them tick. And so getting that big kind of caricature of evil, as well as the potential for comedy, makes a lot of sense about why you would be why you would be drawn to supervillains, um, that it's more about that and less about the the actual evil plans. Yeah. That it's more about the the character and the the um contrast between their like brilliancy often and how kind of ridiculous they often become in talking about the things and, or acting on like the the things that they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like they take them so so seriously mm-hmm. because of their level of obsession. Mm-hmm. And for like for Funko Pops in general, like I'm not a huge collector of Funko Pops, partially just because of uh, physical room and partially because I just don't want to let the avalanche begin. Mm-hmm. But the ones I'm always drawn to are the villains. 
<laughs> because I get so much joy from imagining uh, Palpatine or, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lex Luthor or, you know, the master seeing a Funko Pop of themselves and just being so pissed, right? <laughs> right. Like, that I am not a cute thing with big eyes and a bobblehead. Mm-hmm. I am, a, you know, a, the master of all that I foresee. You know, like, it is, I love that contrast. I love thinking of supervillains. I think it's be, also that there, there's that contrast because they're, when we see them in stories, we always see them in a state of um, of being operatic, mm-hmm. of of making their plans and of being the puppet masters who are controlling the hench people or manipulating people. And we never see them in those quiet moments of like, uh, you know, hey, Dr. Doom, what's your favorite candy bar? You know, <laughs> and just knowing that those moments kind of have to exist mm-hmm. because these stories are often told where... Uh, we see spend time with super villains and we don't see those kind of mundane moments. So they exist in this constant state of operatic screaming at the horizon. And then we'll spend time with heroes where we'll see humanizing moments Mm -hmm. and see them have friends and see them, you know, be, be too tired to get up in the morning, but need to like, we see human moments even from heroes mm-hmm. and i think i just get a lot of joy from thinking about these vil- these obsessive villains having mundane moments in their lives yeah yeah, yeah. it gives me a, a ton of joy um <laughs> if you could hear a supervillain scream about something mundane what would you like to hear them rant about ooh um i would like to hear them rant about whether or not their um bed is the right either softness or hardness. <laughs> and what is your, uh, uh, let's go to a supervillain that, that you like, uh, or uh, we've established that you're not big fans of these, but uh, <laughs> I want to, I want to frame this in, in uh, from the perspective of a specific supervillain. So Gargamel, uh, Blofeld, whoever you want to pick, who do you want to pick? To yeah. Imagine? Yeah. Let's see. Um, you know, you brought up uh, Goldfinger earlier. Let's let's go with Goldfinger. Okay, Goldfinger. His mm-hmm. whole motivation is he loves gold. Yep, <laughs> it's right there in the song. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, there in in his in the novelization, you know, there's uh, some deeper uh, roots to all of that too. When somebody like Goldfinger mm-hmm. is concerned about the softness of his bed, mm-hmm. do you imagine the supervillain ranting about thread count? Or do you imagine the supervillain having a moment of, you know, this is the one moment where they're quiet and not going on a monologue. We're just like, oh, this bed's too soft. Or is it this bed has shamed the concept of beds? How do you imagine it? Well, I mean, with Goldfinger, I would imagine it as a rant because Goldfinger would probably want his bed to be made out of gold. <laughs> so this bed is not gold. Right. And yeah. like the thread should be spun gold and like nothing is right so i think that that's probably a level of um not being not meeting his standards that is going to uh prompt a rant okay i like that a lot yeah there's something about it where i also like to imagine that maybe certain supervillains even though they are obsessed and constantly screaming like even they need a break and I like imagining, <laughs> like, uh, I'll use o- uh, Omega because uh, uh, he is one of the more ranty supervillains. And when we were watching, rewatching the uh, classic Doctor Who serial, uh, mm-hmm. Three Doctors, he's almost always talking at this level, like total constant 
endless scream. Like, obviously, that is uh, the, the character being in pain. Uh, but is there an element of that that's almost a little like, see me, hear me, I'm throwing a tantrum. And if the doctors weren't there and nobody else was there, would he just be like, oh, uh, Skittle, fun. <laughs> <laughs> would he have a moment of right? calm? Or, would, or are they always at 11? Yeah, I actually, I like that idea. I like to think, you know, like the master just eating quietly a bowl of cereal in the morning, <laughs> grumbling yeah. because it got a little too soggy. Yeah, actually quite enjoying that one of like, I will crush the doctor, but ooh, this yeah. oat milk is tasty this morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. And, you know, this is helping me too. I think maybe this is part of the Skeletor uh, attraction <laughs> yeah. for me of... We do in the Masters of the Universe, we see him, you know, rant and rave and come up with a bunch of plans and curse He-Man and curse that he doesn't control Eternia yet. But we also often see him having meetings with his hench people and giving them assignments and just being sort of frustrated by their failure. Mm. So I guess that is a little bit of something mundane. And maybe where this, this is where some of that contrast and some of that l- love, like, you know, he will be like, I will gather all the power and I will take everything from He-Man. He has crossed me for the last time. And then, like, Beast-Man will do something dumb. He'll just be like, you nincompoop. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this great contrast between, like, he is this absolute uh, supervillain megalomaniac. And then he, then he also just sounds like an office manager. Who's yeah. like mad at Merman because they didn't put a cover on their PTS report, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I do. I like that idea of the mundane moments as well. Yeah. Uh, so I could clearly go on and on about that element, but I want to move on to another. Um, I feel like uh, the supervillains, not all of them, uh, but many of them are coded as uh, misfits, right? Mm. In some way that um, they are different while the heroes are normal people. Like, sometimes this is explicit, like, you know, uh, Dr. Doom is literally scarred. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The Red Skull is, you know, is scarred. Um, The Master uh, from Doctor Who, in particular, in the new series, it's we we actually get to learn about his psychological trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, of staring into the vortex of time and space. Um, And all, all of these villains are, we're often given this information that, they have something that sets them apart. Mm-hmm. Well, often the heroes, even if they're weird or quirky, are often coded as more traditional, right? Um, do you think that uh, that makes the villains more interesting to you to when you think about them that way as coded as somehow different? Well, well often the heroes are coded as a little bit more normal. Mm. I mean, I think the... The, the the differences are what I find interesting about about the villains and, you know, the supervillains uh, in between each other of like, ooh, what's, you know, what's this one's thing or how does this one approach problems or what does this one rant about in the morning when they don't want to get out of bed? <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I, I think that is for the amount that I am drawn to them. I think that is part of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh... Some of, I mean, I, I'm trying to be careful about the way I describe this because I think it is a, it, I think it's a part of our storytelling that is going to fade out a little bit because it has been a really standard thing in comic books, and uh, in, in, certainly in James Bond, and this has been discussed much that it is a, a problematic part of James Bond 
that the villains are always like, you know, they have a scar or they're missing a limb or whatever. And, and there is this, this subtext, particularly in the novels that, you know, they are, they are different and therefore they have been become twisted. Right. And Mm. it's really problematic. And I think it is important for us to start to, you know, disconnect, you know, the idea of somebody making a bad moral choice like supervillains do from any sort of physical being non-traditional, right? Yeah, definitely. I I apologize if I'm using the wrong words. I'm really trying to to say this sensitively to say what I mean. Um, So there's there's kind of this complex problematic part of it Mm -hmm. where there's a little bit of like anything physically different has been coded with supervillains along with bad choices. Mm. But if you look at it a little bit more from the perspective of almost everybody I've ever met grows up feeling a little like I am not meeting whatever ideal there is. Mm -hmm. So I think almost everybody grows up with a little bit of like, I feel a little outside of the norm that's projected on all of us. Yeah. And so sometimes that makes the villains more relatable because they're more fun. They're more (laughs) colorful. They, you know, kind of wear whatever it is that they seem to want to wear and they are loud and they are proud mm-hmm. and they are saying exactly what they believe, what they think the world should be. So there's a this part of me that feels like the, uh, maybe I'm drawn to the villains why I never root for them. It's mm-hmm. never like I wish I wish, you know, they would win. Uh, but there is a part of me that I think the villains can be great because they're almost an expression of just being like, just be loud and proud and be you. Don't uh, <laughs> drown the world, but be you. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think um, and and I certainly I mean, I think to me, some of the parts that when I am drawn to them, it's something it's more kind of um, uh, clothing or or like a lot of these. um, I'm not thinking of good examples right now, but like if it's um, not a situation where everything is human based, like often the more interesting visual character is, you know, like going to be um, like the the shark um, in uh, the flash. Oh, yeah. King shark. King shark. You know, so a little bit like a di- like visually interesting uh, and just kind of interesting to think about. So I, I think that's kind of more of what I was reacting to. I hear what you're saying about superheroes often being coded as normal but I think part of what I often find charming about superheroes is the misfit qualities of them yeah so I I think so I'm for people who cannot see us I'm squinting my eyes thinking about this and I think that is where I'm getting hung up is kind of is that's where I'm coming from on that side of it yeah um so I almost see it as like different approaches to for people who don't feel like they quite belong. Yeah. You know what? So here, here's a good way to, to I'm going to criticize myself. <laughs> I think in trying to ask this one question, this one uh, thought, I, I'm maybe combining too many ideas because I think you're right. I think that like with say Batman and his rogues gallery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Batman stories are the, uh, the home of the word obsession. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is about obsession. It's, you know, it's a part of the fun of the Batman villains is that they 
almost always the Batman villains are sympathetic. They've always got, almost all have gone through some sort of trauma, which has made them obsess on one particular thing from uh, cats to comedy to penguins to ice. Like there's no, you can pick anything in the world and you can make a Batman villain. You could make a Batman villain out of cardboard, you know, Mm -hmm. and that would be their obsession. But a part of the story there is often, you know, what they're doing because of that is unacceptable to Batman. So Batman tries to stop them. But then there's often these moments of like, but you dress up as a bat. You're just as obsessed as us. And there are many great stories where the where the villains are like, something traumatic happened to me to make me want to do penguin crimes. Something happened to you, right? <laughs> you know. So there are definitely stories where I think in superheroes where there where there is a coding of the heroes and the villains are are much larger than life. Mm-hmm. So definitely great to like set that aside. Mm-hmm. And I think there are stories like James Bond mm-hmm. where Bond is sort of like, I'm, you know, suave and charming and handsome and, and rugged and can go through anything. And then, you know, there's the sort of very problematic Fleming Ian Fleming villain or like He-Man where He-Man's kind of he's he's weird uh, from modern standpoint. But at the time, you know, he was created because they interviewed a bunch of kids like who'd be really heroic and they're like a giant muscle brown blonde dude so like it was literally he's literally a consensus of what would be the peak of awesome mm-hmm. versus weird purple guy with the skull head you know mm-hmm. so i think there are there are different things where uh some some of these stories where the supervillains are coded as uh a misfit compared to the real square jaw hero right versus maybe some more of the comic books where everybody involved is a little bit of an obsessive misfit yeah yeah no i can see where you're going with that yeah yeah so i guess all of this (laughs) is to work through to this point of um do you i find sometimes the villains more fun and more expressive because they are just sometimes weirder you Mm -hmm. know um if you were going to dress like a supervillain, yeah if you were going to just express your obsessions uh or the way you think the world should be or just take away any societal concern about what is too much to this or to that how would you express yourself in in dress (laughs) um and do i get to have like a a superpower or something with it sure why not yeah um i'm gonna just be like an aggressive um nature person (laughs) who does not take notice of what's already existing somewhere and is like, there needs to be a tree here. Bam. And I can like thump my hand against the ground and a three tree comes out of it. Like maybe I'm, (laughs) I'm dressed as like a partly a tree and then like a wave. And then over here I would be like, you need to have a green roof. Boom. And then you've got a green roof. And over here you're, you know, polluting the water system and like, with but with no regard to you know infrastructure of cities and so in the process I'm probably you know taking away smashing people's homes and, and smashing pipes and flooding things and all of that. Yeah. Okay. So that's a very good answer to what you were gonna what you do. Yeah. But, and you said you would you would express yourself by by dressing in a tree like fashion. Yes, I I see like a a combination maybe like a blue and green swirly, um, like caftan type thing. Yeah. Um. It, Except with uh, legs so that I can run when I need to or, you know, flip. 
because I assume I'll get to flip, uh, that has maybe like a hood on it and and one side is more of like a wave and the other side is green and looks more like a like has like a tree, like a tree, maybe a tree glove on one side, <laughs> like a little tree sticking out of it. Um, you know, maybe like a little pet small animal. Yeah, I yeah. love this. Yeah, you would just be uh, what, uh, Empress Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, I think thank you for uh, helping me to talk through and work through what I was getting at, because I wanted to celebrate a thing that I am drawn to, which is I think a lot of supervillains are expressions of just outwardly be the most you you that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I wanted to stop and, and examine the parts of that that can be concerning in some of these stories Mm -hmm. so with that said i think what i'm interested in sometimes is this idea that like literally with with palpatine right um it's a part of his story that when he's a politician that's kind of a mask he has to wear he doesn't like wearing it the truth is he's a wrinkled little awful space wizard and that's what he (laughs) wants to be he wants to be down here all the time uh and that is without having any acceptance of what the supervillains do, I have a real appreciation to that, that they are an opportunity to to maybe be this expression of we should all just be ourselves yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. And not be concerned with you know, like, you know, am I am I fitting in? And I, I and I'm fascinated with them from that perspective. Mm-hmm. What would your supervillain be? Well, I don't know what my actual supervillain would be in terms of tasks. I'll think about that a little bit. Okay. But in terms of look. In terms of looks, I think it would be just a massive cape with one of the uh, the um, massive uh, kind of not. I'm trying to think of the right word for it. The collar, mm-hmm. just like the big, ridiculously over the top uh, <laughs> collar. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and there's an energy that comes from some of the some of the supervillains are a little bit more physically strong, and so they're like literally almost like arched back, hand in the air, always. Uh, there's the I like a kind of supervillain who is almost shriveled in anger, mm. <laughs> uh, and maybe this is me wanting to lean into my own penchant for bad posture. <laughs> this is a really weird connection, but it, when I was thinking about it, it's really really true. Um, when it's uh, doing children's theater, uh, in Wisconsin, great theater uh, called Old Gem Theater. Um, we did a production of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. And uh, the director, writer, uh, did a great job of, you know, trying to streamline everything to make it fit and kind of uh, compressed a lot of the different villains into kind of one character of mm-hmm. like the the manager of uh, of the store. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I basically played the the character kind of like it was a combination of Palpatine and Skeletor because he, he had these <laughs> miserly speeches. And I think it was in the script that that he had a nervous, angry habit of chewing on his fingernails. And it was just so fun and freeing to play somebody who was just um, had just given their entire body over to just being like, I don't like it that people are happy. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to make money and that's all. And just, just absolutely. This is not a good example of being your best self. This is somebody who is physically changed by allowing, you know, anger to consume them. Mm -hmm. But it was strangely freeing to play. 
to have a safe place to express like what would that do to your body if you just gave yourself permission to be like I don't care what anybody thinks all that matters is greed and power and get out of my way yeah yeah I mean I think you bring up a great point about um for uh for performers the fun of playing a a villain and a supervillain or you know someone in that type of realm who has that pure just like physicality um you know i know from many years ago doing uh theater things but also you know from doing dance things that have been where i've been cast as like truly like this entire dance is about anger so you need to only show anger yeah um and there is something just um you know it's cathartic yeah, it was absolutely cathartic. It was just a a ton of strange fun. So yeah, mm-hmm. to answer uh, the question, I would have a giant cape with a huge collar and then really bad posture. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be shriveled inside. All black, and but I'd have a real colorful interior to my cape, and it would be yeah. really satiny too. Because mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that's the thing too is like so often the supervillains are just sort of like. I am just full of evil and rage, but also look at how not I could. These are the the best silk you can get on the inside of my cape. Look at it. It's, it's got a little sheen to it. It's crimson. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Um, all right. So uh, this is this is kind of where we started, but I want to take a little closer look at it of um, supervillains uh, can sometimes be right about a problem, uh, but then have that violent, unacceptable solution. So often in stories, and this is one of the things that I'm most fascinated about structurally with how we how we tell stories mm-hmm. using villains, is that means, though, that the villains are often an agent of change while the heroes are then agents of stasis. It's often that the villains are advocating for change and the heroes are like, no, got to protect whatever. Mm. So it is moral and noble and great because it's, you know, the villain's going to blow something up and the hero's like i'm not gonna allow that but that means that i think we've had lots of storytelling that reinforces change is scary and keeping (laughs) things the same is great which i don't know if that's a great thing for us to culturally internalize yeah it's very interesting (laughs) uh so do you think that we should think a little more like supervillains in society not constantly looking at what needs to be protected. I mean, worry about protecting things, obviously, but also asking ourselves what should change. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you I think we should. Um, you ask the preservationist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I do I do think it's good to look at um, what stories are we telling ourselves about uh, maintaining things? Like, as in, like, are we just trying to stop change versus are we trying to stop um, tremendous uh, damaging change? Um, One that I'm thinking about, so I'm just going to talk through this out loud with you, um, and I'm not sure if she falls as a villain or a supervillain, is the Wicked Witch of the West Mm. for the Wizard of Oz. There's certainly some ranting going on there. There's certainly some ranting. And she is just following her bliss being who she is she is so definitely villain i don't know villain versus super villain um but thinking about kind of what her approach is you know and and dorothy just wants to get home which i guess is she's trying to go back to what she knew 
It is a form of stasis. It is yeah. a form of stasis. But I, I would argue that Wizard of Oz is a little bit more of a, <laughs> a, a coming of age story of I am going on this journey and how am I being changed by the time I get home. Yes, yes. I, I was thinking of it as an example that was not a proponent of um, stasis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so did did you have a, a, a further thought on the Wicked Witch? I, I just wanted to bring her up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy with that. We can talk about the Wicked Witch anytime you want. Uh, I'd be very excited about that. And I haven't uh, seen any of the you know great uh, expansions, obviously, that are very popular with Broadway shows and mm-hmm. things like that. So right, right. Not an expert on the Wicked Witch. Neither am I myself. Uh, you made up a gr- you made a great joking point of I'm going on about shouldn't we change things to somebody who cares a lot about preservation, who spends a lot of her. <laughs> Her professional life of preserving things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is is I am interested in us as a society having more balance, right? Of saying, let's, we obviously there are things that we should protect, um, but also realizing that a lot of things that we want to happen that are good are come from change. Mm-hmm. And that... I think it just it goes to the heart of this idea of sometimes the supervillains have figured out a an observed an actual problem. Sometimes not. Like oftentimes, you know, the master in various Doctor Who stories just wants to personally take over the world or wants to destroy a planet out of vengeance. So I'm not saying all supervillains <laughs> have a point. Mm-hmm. Um but there is this interesting thing to me of like, uh, you know, should we be trying to tell more stories where the heroes are the agent of change? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, there's been gr- such great discussion of uh, Black Panther. And I think one of the reasons that people, um, I think, appreciate that movie and feel like it is a really, there's a million reasons it's a powerful film. Uh, but I think one of the things on this level is, I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't think Killmonger reaches that like, cartoonish level of supervillain so i'm Mm -hmm. not comparing him in that way but he does bring up this specific idea of you know these things should change about wakanda yeah and he has an unacceptable violent version of doing that and it's one of those rare films where the villain is stopped the problem he pointed out is appreciated by the leader and he finds a better way to to address the problem that the villain brought up Mm mm-hmm and I think that's one of the things that makes it really unique and speaks to this balance of the villains need to be stopped from doing the violent thing, but sometimes maybe the villains have a point and we should find a positive way to make that change. Yeah, yeah. I am completely on board with that. Yeah. Um, another one one that always sticks with me um, is Quantum of Solace, which, of course, is about control and power and you know, the villain trying to control the water supply um, in parts of South America, uh, which is not good, but also is pointing out, which would be great if, you know, then as a response, people are like, yes, let's do something about this. The um, the shortage of water, you know, and, and I then that's when we're like where I would have liked to have seen. I mean, I realize that doesn't quite fit within the Bond general uh, <laughs> outline, but I would love to see that as like, OK, well, what is what is the approach that we see next of them actually listening to like, okay, this villain had a lot of other things that were not so good, but yeah. Interesting point about the problem. And how, what can we do to fix that? Yeah. Like what, 
what NGO should be started and started to be looking at this instead? Yeah, I think maybe that one uh, grabs you and grabs me because often the the Bond uh, uh, stories are villains remaking the world to make it the way they want. You know, uh, world is not enough. Uh, you know, a big chunk of the world is going to be blown up. So the pipeline that the villain feels belongs to them mm-hmm. is the one that's going to persevere, not the other one, you know? Uh, so it's a remake the world to benefit me, to benefit my power, to benefit my view. And Quantum of Solace is fascinating because it, it Bond doesn't actually go so far as to fund an NGO. <laughs> that's not a secret <laughs> scene at the end of the uh, the trailers, yeah. at the end of the uh, credits that we've all missed. Uh, not the trailers, the credits. Uh, but a lot of that movie hinges on the assumption that if somebody's buying up land, it's for oil because that's the valuable resource. The conversation of that film acknowledges change in the world of what is valuable mm-hmm. and acknowledges that just because we have this stasis idea of what is the most valuable oil, of course, and many Bond films have hinged on oil. Mm-hmm. And then the film itself is almost like being this agent of change saying, actually, water Water's pretty damn important too, and maybe we should consider that. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I that I just love that idea because they keep us, like you know, the MI six and the CIA keep assuming they, you know, we know there's no oil here, but what does he think is here? Like, is it is there some other mineral here? Are there some gems here? What's what's the thing here? Does he think somehow there's oil here? Or I mean, not just him; it's the you know the whole conglomerate. But I love that that the the villains have shifted perspective about what's valuable and the the people we're rooting for have not yet shifted and so they're that's one of the reasons they're behind is because they haven't shifted how they're looking at things yes it's like all the all the uh the hero uh characters are lined up to protect the stasis oil and then like <laughs> oh damn <laughs> it's not about oil we're we're protecting the wrong stasis right like it's a little this isn't uh, this is a probably a bad example but it's a little bit like they're all still waiting for the dvd to come not realizing (laughs) that the villains are already streaming and just like (laughs) they're in a different place Uh, that is so great there should absolutely be a supervillain uh (laughs) show about the streaming wars about a supervillain taking the world over by you know (laughs) streaming when nobody's looking they're all still like waiting for the megalomania plus (laughs) That will take over the whole world. It just reminds me talking about uh, Quantum of Solace in that era and talking about stasis and change. We still have some old DVDs that have the commercials at the beginning uh, that are advertising that you can now buy combo packs that are DVDs in what was HD plus? What was the other format before Blu-ray? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't even. H, yeah, anyway. HDVD. No? H- I think it was HDVD. Yeah. yeah. But I always remember it because it's got a really stereotypical commercial voice in it. The the tagline is future proof your collection. Don't just buy a DVD. <laughs> buy a condo, a, a combo DVD, HDVD, future proof your collection. And like not only did that format lose to Blu-ray, but now things are streaming like yeah. that would just going to future proof nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that commercial was written by a supervillain. Future proof your collection. Absolutely. Uh, all right. It, you already answered this question, which is great, but I'm going to ask again. In uh, Anyway, 
if you took something you felt passionately about but pursued it in a dangerous way like a supervillain, what might you do? This is your tree answer, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I think with the like absolute disregard for what is already there, I would just be like, you know, the, uh, the mountain lions need a crossover. Bam, take out the part of this highway and like, whoops, now nobody can get around. Yeah, uh, I'm fascinated by this one. Um, I, I will talk about a, a thing that I do not have the power to do, but I had a, we had a, we were having a nice walk on a beautiful sunny day and I went on a supervillain monologue. <laughs> and I said, if I had the power, would I do this? Could I do this? Uh, and that's, uh, and this is about like looking at a, a real problem, but then asking that really difficult question of like, I believe change should come, but what is an okay way to <laughs> make that change? But I had that supervillain fantasy of like, if I could just wave my hand or if I built a magic machine and I could just make masks appear on people's faces and they couldn't <laughs> take them off. You know, like th that mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that makes me very interested in supervillains. I wouldn't do that mm -hmm. because it's taking away autonomy from other humans and that's wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go way out on a limb of one of the trees that you uh, made burst out of the earth uh -huh. and say uh, that's a bad thing to do. But it comes from, it came from we we're on this beautiful walk. We just kept passing person after person, you know, with no mask standing, you know, very close to other people and just yelling and spewing everywhere. And it's just that that real frustration of we're we're all in this together. We we just the masks are so it's it's so small. It's such a small thing to do. And it helps so much in that frustration boiling over to that point of making me think like a supervillain <laughs> and i think uh, one of the other this is a great demonstration of why i'm compelled by them because i think supervillains are a great tool to raise complex questions yeah definitely yeah and not all of them do i'm not saying skeletor was really <laughs> breaking the mold asking uh, difficult uh questions yeah but i don't some know of that them do. don't know that gargamel did I no i actually remember yeah and and they are and i should really uh no gargamel just wants <laughs> he just wanted control and power and you know uh yeah and and i i should i i lump a lot of them I, the ones i like together but i should be like yeah to be clear that you know some of them are uh are not uh don't have a good observation of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, Palpatine Many, has yeah. no great observation of a problem. He is consumed by greed and the desire for a uh, constant unlimited power to himself. Mm He's -hmm. <laughs> consumed by his, the view that uh, every, the natural order of the world is chaos and violence. And that's the way it is always going to be. And someone's going to profit. So it's going to be him. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't chaos and violence happening right now, he'll make it happen. There's nothing, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing agreeable about uh, his perspective, yeah. you know. Uh, but I am fascinated with the other villains, so many villains who are who are trying to solve a problem. Even there are a lot of villains who are fascinating because they're relatable, because they're not trying to solve a problem in society. Mm -hmm. They're trying to solve some personal injury. Yeah. And that I, maybe they're right about that. But again, the way they're going about it, of like, I feel like all my power was taken away. So I'm going to try to take all the power. Like, relatable on the having your power taken away. Not okay on the taking everybody else's power. Yeah. I think probably a majority, I'm going to go on a limb, might be wrong, um, of super villains do that it is about power. 
more than anything else. And I'm going to go ahead and just, I, I know I go on about uh, Quantum Solace. They also just wanted power and money. Like they didn't actually care about the water. They just thought it was an issue and could give them power and money. Yeah. So still, we want power and money. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a good time, as I try to do almost every podcast, and say something nice about Captain America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's some of the storytelling I also appreciate in Marvel, the way that uh, good people can be co-opted into making supervillain decisions. Like, that's so much what The Winter mm-hmm. Soldier is about, that, you know, the fear of, of a powerful people it allows Hydra from the inside to corrupt S.H.I.E.L.D. and almost get S.H.I.E.L.D. to commit to having the ability to take out anybody in the world who might be a threat. What, we're just protecting the stasis. Any Anybody on the planet could suddenly develop superpowers and be a real threat, and then we could just hit a button and zap them, and, and that's stasis. That's protection, right? <laughs> and, you know, Captain America is such a fascinating character because he's a steadfast character. Mm-hmm. He has his values, and they pretty much haven't changed since he was being beaten up in that back alley to when he's fighting Thanos. Mm-hmm. He hasn't changed, but he is always challenged because somebody around him is trying to do something that he knows isn't right. So he's kind of, he he is stasis. Mm-hmm. So then he becomes the agent of change. Like in Winter Soldier, he's like, mm. S.H.I.E.L.D., you're trying to, you allowed yourself to be corrupted into almost doing something really horrible. So you got to end. You got to I mean, he's the, he literally says, like, it's yeah. all got to go, Nick Fury. Yeah. We have to pull it all down. So he <laughs> kind of becomes he's a, a rare hero who is a stasis himself, but in his actions, an agent of change. He changes things around him. Yeah. No wonder you like him. <laughs> I do. I got a poster right here of her. <laughs> our old change agent up here. Uh, one of the last things that I wanted to talk about for just a kind of straightforward aesthetic joy of narrative storytelling thing that I love about supervillains is just the big words and monologues. Uh, <laughs> I, I had, I think a better vocabulary because I was reading all those comic books and just watching, uh, you know, whatever genre thing I could possibly uh, get my hands on. Um, I, I remember how many times it'd just be like, Hey, uh, this supervillain called someone vainglorious. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I'll try it at school and find out. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd that go? I never actually uh, called anyone vainglorious. I think I eventually just like, I need a dictionary on hand mm-hmm. to read comic books. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so, it's one of the things about them that to me is, can be delightfully over the top, the big monologues and the rants and like, you know, especially from a comic book, like, you know, Doctor Doom and things like that it, it, are really... Um, just love alliteration and almost seems to be using big words as a part of the I'm so smart and nobody appreciates it. So I will use very large words always all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just a thing that I absolutely uh, uh, love about them. And also I, I think the monologuing that that's a specific character trait of the all of this uh, is coming from some sense of injury some sense of vanity and so it i mean there's the classic bond joke of the villain always ties up bond and tells them their plan but that that so comes from other other places where the villains mm-hmm. like want to tell anybody like i feel like if they're real they'd just be at starbucks and would just like i'll have a vente and also here is why i shall make it so no one can ever buy a bagel in this city again and just go on the uh the monologue uh 
supervillains being good monologuers, if you could have any supervillain uh, on a podcast, what supervillain would you want to hear rant on a podcast? Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yes. I mean, I'm going to start while well, I'm thinking by agreeing with you that I do. That is the rants and the monologues are also... Um, even for my not as obsessed with supervillain self, that is a thing that I do really enjoy. Um, gosh, wow. Um, hmm, I'm now having a total blank about any supervillains, <laughs> even though we've been talking about them In, this entire time. Okay, in that case. Who are you going to have? You know what? How about this? Can you give me just a little bit of monologue you might uh, do Is is the... the uh, the Emperor of Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> and this highway shouldn't be here. And why this tree needs room to grow. And these squirrels have no passage across this road. And why is there no greenery within view? And I'm going to take this glorious moment to to leap across the buildings and let the oceans flow forth from d- abandon the sewers. <laughs> How's that? I, the, the it was absolutely great the i think the uh the cadence was spot on <laughs> <laughs> and I, and the, that's the there's this just this strange holdover of i am talking as though i am in an amphitheater at all times <laughs> right. i just love it it's so theatrical yeah so many of these supervillains are theatrical there i could have just said that for a while i'm obsessed with supervillains they're very theatrical <laughs> <laughs> Even like the master, there's so many different interpretations of the master, and often the master is played as being more subtle and down here and hypnotizing, but there's still a theatrical, performative quality. There you know? is, yeah. And by the way, I don't know why I keep leaving the master out of my brain when I think of uh, supervillains, but the master should be the guest on the podcast. The master would be a really good podcast guest because mm-hmm. depending on the different iteration, one, yeah. uh, or, you know, Missy was great. That incarnation of master, Ooh, yeah. amazing, great uh, uh, take on supervillain. Like uh, that's almost like uh, her performance is so good. Um, but it's almost like this great evolving 21st century take where that iteration of the master known as Missy uh, seems aware that this is almost making fun of the monologuing, of almost mm-hmm. like going off on weird monologues and tangents as a part of the toolkit to keep people on balance and not know where she's going next, you mm-hmm. know? And it's this great, like, let's kind of motivate why, have, have the fun of a character who goes on and on in a weird operatic way, uh, but let's, but is it, doing it as a tactic. Yeah. Not as a loss of control. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. an interesting point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but I would love to have any incarnation of the master on a podcast because I think, you know, you'd invite them on a podcast and say, this is what we're going to talk about. And then uh, I don't think it's okay. I don't uh, condone it, but I think the master would hypnotize me and then we would talk about whatever the master wants to talk about <laughs> regardless. Probably. <laughs> I want to go on the record. I don't condone hypnotizing uh, podcast guests or hosts. Yes. But- this is I why we agree. tell stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's my final question for you. If you had a strange secret lair, which can be another great supervillain thing, yeah. where would you want it to be? Oh, it would be a cave. <laughs> that was so fast. Totally. Totally a cave that like is in a mountain that has like three different secret entrances. And one is through uh, like a 
a stone that you press that reveals itself. Another one is like through a sewer or something like that. But totally, it would absolutely be a cave. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'll be right there with you. We can, uh, we can timeshare the villain cave. <laughs> the cave lair. <laughs> the cave lair. Do you have any other thoughts on supervillains as we wrap up here? No, this has been really fun to talk about. Excellent. I decided to skip the how obsessed are you questions because it would just be me going, I am very obsessed. Yes, I would do anything. And that, that seemed repetitive to our discussion. Uh, can you make an well actually I do want to ask you one other question okay now that we've talked through it mm-hmm. I don't expect in any, way, in any way to say like yeah supervillains are now my favorite but do you is there any element of it that you are more intrigued by less intrigued by are you like I'm gonna I'm excited to think about that the next time or are you like this was fun but I'm ready to be done thinking about this <laughs> <laughs> you know I think I just honestly haven't spent a lot of time thinking about superheroes super I did it finally did it but supervillains as a category um so i think i'm gonna enjoy as we watch different things to think about like oh does that villain apply to whatever my standards are to be a supervillain and how do they compare to other ones and just kind of to i i think i honestly just like that category hadn't thought about i think about more the individual characters within the story or the world that they inhabit and so instead of thinking about them as um a grouping will be fun yeah. I'm going to enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> and no one can stop you. And that's right. I'll be right. in my cave lair. <laughs> can you make a noise to sum up uh, whatever level of interest you have in supervillains? I think I just did it accidentally. Oh, you did. You so did. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great one. Uh, for myself, I think I'll go with... Oh, that's nice. It, it's when the supervillains are so angry, they can't even reach any of their big words. They're just so mad. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so uh, let's do the obsessed rating for me. Uh, so on a scale of one to ten, mm-hmm. uh, one being the lowest, ten being the highest. How obsessed do you think I am? I would say right now, probably a nine. <laughs> yeah. Would that be fair? A dangerous level of obsession. <laughs> I, would, sure. I would say it goes up and down. I think probably like if you go, uh, you know, like take the sum of, of years and average it out, probably more like in a seven. Yeah. Does that seem fair? But I would say like right now, a, a nine. Yeah. I think that's a great way to say it because I think they are part of the package of my real fascination with genre storytelling everything kind of coming from you know pulp and adventure serial and all of the great uh, mutations that that has gone through up until all the great stories that we have now that they're a part of the package of all of that uh but when you separate them out and and look at exactly what they're doing in the stories and what they might represent and how we might get some joy or comfort from seeing some part of ourselves in them mm-hmm. and and almost feel like seen in a little bit of a way but also but they're also extreme cautionary tales of but but don't but don't do these things mm-hmm. you know that there's just so much for me to be fascinated about and obsessed with and just on an aesthetic level just I love looking at supervillain Funko Pops and that will never stop <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, we are going to move on to our plugging section. Uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Scrim Street. 
Excellent. Here are some quick plugs, and then we'll ask our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Four Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash Scrimshaw. All right, here are some final questions. Are you ready? I am. If you could use magic, but you needed to say a magic word to cast any spell, what one word would you want to say? Kerplusha. <laughs> Kerplusha. I was so curious to see if you would make up a word or just say, I don't know, tangerine. I'm very happy with a Kerplusha. 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 There we go. When I hear you saying that around the apartment, I'll know that magic is happening. <laughs> If you were going to be a spokesperson for any food product, what food product would you want to be the spokesperson of? Ooh, dandelion greens. <laughs> I so, so love as we do these uh, episodes to, to find out which answers are like, ooh, got to think about that. And which are like, of course, caves, dandelion greens. Of course. Why didn't you know that already? <laughs> they come so fast. It's great. Final question always on the podcast is what is happiness? Happiness is hanging out in your cave lair. (laughs) I cannot disagree with that or uh, add any button that would make that better. So thank you very much. Uh, From our own cave lair, this has been Obsessed. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Can I tell you one other example of just great over-the-top but still effective supervillain moment that I really love. Please do. Not surprisingly, it's Palpatine-related. And it is, the power of it is, in a sort of dramatic way, is the moment where the mask slips and he lets go of the politician and begins to reveal his true evil, which is, like, fascinating. And you could write essays about one mask slipping away. But the effect of it is is potent, but also just so funny. And it is the moment in Revenge of the Sith uh, when Anakin has a, has defeated Dooku, but mm-hmm. he's trying to decide whether to kill him. And Palpatine says in his, in his I, what, I'm the chancellor, I'm a politician, respectful voice, kill him. And Anakin hesitates, and then his voice shifts entirely, and he says, do it. <laughs> 